So what are, what are we doing this morning? Um, as we talk about neighboring, you know, one of the things that, that I just get the privilege of doing is hearing the stories of, of people in our community and the things that they're doing in, um, in our neighborhoods to, to make a difference, to serve in fun ways, in small ways, in, in big ways. And um, as, as you talk about the table, I just wanted to share those, those stories that I'm hearing with, with the rest of our community. Um, as, as we think about the table, we're thinking about what does it look like to, for, for our homes uh, to be a space where we make a difference in the world around us. Our tables have this incredible opportunity to, to be a space where we host our neighbors and our neighborhoods. But it's, also, it's not just our tables that have those spaces, but there are tables uh, that exist around us that we get to step into. We get to step into the world around us and, and be present um, in some just a variety of ways. So I've heard just some stories um, that, that we'll just go down the line, if that's okay. And I, all I just want you to do is um, first tell us your name um, and then tell us the, the space that you've been serving in and kind of just the, the joys that that has uh, the joyful ways that that, that has existed for you, um, the stories that you have there that we've chatted about. Um, so we'll start with you, Lauren. Can you hear me? I'm Lauren Griffo, and this past June, our church was asked to provide the dinner for an organization called We See You San Diego. And there were, I don't know, 15 or 20 of us that showed up, um, and I loved this group is doing. This couple, um, their name is Laura and Kevin, they host a dinner party every Tuesday night for the homeless community. And it isn't just people showing up and going through a line and getting, you know, food thrown on their plate. They are sitting and they are being treated like guests as if they were in someone's home and served a hot meal, there's a coffee bar, there is um, a dessert cart goes around and they're not getting one you know piece of cake or a cookie they're getting gigantic plates mm -hmm. of dessert mm -hmm. they can take home leftovers there is uh, clothing where they can have um, an order put in if they need shoes or socks uh, this time of year they're asking for uh, blankets and coats and sweaters and there's also a place where they can get personal hygiene products like toothbrushes and toothpaste and combs and brushes or whatever they might need there's a band that plays, <clears throat> excuse me, there's um, a raffle where they auction off, or raffle off um, goodie bags with snacks and just different kinds of fun stuff. And it's just really fun. And you can go sit and talk one-on-one -on -one to people and just get to know people. Um, they recently moved their location from over by the San Diego Riverbed um, near where the Humane Society is. They lost their building they were in because they're tearing it down. So now they're on uh, Soledad Mountain Road, just almost oh. PB on Garnet, uh, near Garnett. Mm. And I went Tuesday not knowing if they were going to be even doing it because it was pouring rain. And they had people still lining up. Mm -hmm. And they were serving, you know, a big plate of pasta and bread and whatever people might want and they you know they brave the elements to go out there so 
It's awesome if you guys ever want to do it. It's very um, loosely organized as far as volunteering. You don't have to sign up or tell them you're coming ahead of time. You can just go between about five and uh, seven o'clock. Yeah, and it's a fun environment. Like there's a live it's really band. Fun. There's yes. Yeah, it's super fun. Very cool. So, thank you. Um, my name is Karen Nelson, and um, I kind of looked at the prompt of mm -hmm. how to be a neighbor or be involved in a community a little differently. Um, and I'd say a word that over is the umbrella over how I try to be a neighbor is being intentional. Um, I grew up in San Diego. I moved away for a few years in my 20s, but you know, so working here, and then when I became a teacher, teaching in my neighborhood, so my students were my neighbors. So that kind of set a nice um, floor, I would say. But intentionality happened when I retired in 2017. Um, so I've lived in my neighborhood, in my house, for a very long time, almost 30 years. So I know my neighbors. I do have to give my prompt that yeah, we did mouth. last week. <laughs> so this is my, my paper that I scribbled out last week. I don't know if you can see it, but I had to make extra boxes. But I've been fortunate to live in my house for almost 30 years, so I know all of my neighbors. I know their names. I know where their kids went to school. I know where their kids, you know, who's got grandchildren now. Um, and so and so I'm very fortunate that way. But being intentional since I retired on really getting to know my neighbors, where we know each other's stories, we know each other's um, joys, each other's um, um, pain, and um, are there for each other. But intentionality goes a little bit beyond the block I live on um, into, as I had an opportunity to be, to volunteer now that I'm retired. So it's looking into my neighborhood. So I would just say volunteering for me is how I show connection. Mm -hmm. um, so the, I'm on a foundation for um, the University City Schools where I taught and I live to raise money for the schools. Um, I am a volunteer at the zoo, so the little broader community. Um, I am a volunteer with Sierra Club. I am a hike leader and an instructor for um, people who are new to backpacking and camping. So it's taking my interests and then pushing back. And then of course here, which is my joy, um, to, to kind of be, help gather the hospitality. So those are kind of my four intention, intentional areas to serve. And then finally, being super intentional about relationships. Mm -hmm. And some of you here um, are my super intentional targets. <laughs> and, and like Jenny, <laughs> where every Sunday afternoon, if you're on my list, and now you know if you want to be on my list, I, I text, I say, when are we going for a walk? When are we getting together? Mm -hmm. And just not letting a, a week go by without touching base in, you know, at least an hour, you know, with certain, you know, with a list of folks every week, you know, because you can't keep friendships, you can't keep neighbors if you don't really intentionally push in. So that's how I do it. 
great. Thank you. The walks are great. <laughs> We've solved the problems. We've solved the problems of the world. <laughs> My name is Jenny Soderlin, and I love roses. I wanted to learn how to really grow roses, so I joined the San Diego Rose Society, and I am learning so much, getting better and better every year. I think that I really realized how much joy roses bring to the community when we were in the height of the pandemic because we had maybe 40 people a day walk by our house. And it was the roses that brought maybe just a little bit of joy to the neighborhood. So there, from there, I wanted to do more. So I joined the Balboa Park Rose Garden Corps, and I go every Tuesday and Thursday if I'm available. And I've gotten to know a community outside that has the same passion for growing roses, but learning to love my neighbors that way. And it's just been so much fun. And I guess that's all I have to say about roses for now, except who has the closest birthday? Anybody have a birthday? Today? Yesterday? Yesterday? Okay. Here, I've got some roses for you. Yeah. Those roses smelled really good. Yeah. I love roses too. <laughs> That's why I sat by you. <laughs> <laughs> Like really, uh, I can relate, and it's touching, and it's relatable, and it's really, really good. But my name's April. Um, April recently, we have we have images that'll come up on the screen oh, for yours perfect. too. So okay, all right. Yeah. Oh, that's so if you me. can explain, yeah, what's yes. happening there. We'll we'll explain that. So um, I'm April Nelson. Recently, April Nelson. I'm <laughs> Albert's wife. <laughs> Really excited about that. <laughs> um, we but are too. Thanks. <laughs> um, so these are some pictures of a block party, which turned into a neighborhood party slash city party. I, I had no idea what was happening. God was doing all of it. But it was, um, this was, this is a story of the song you sang this morning that says, God, give me your heart, fill me with your love, so I can love all those around me. This is like what God did in me. Um, and it was a process, so it took some time to do, but God really put compassion in me, and he showed me what was going on in my neighborhood. And I would, I would walk around my neighborhood, and I would pray, and... Um, just kind of bless the land and bless the people. And 
And then I started, I met a man one time at the donut shop, and, and then I heard later on in the day that he had gotten hit by a car. And I thought, what is that about? And then I started remembering things that were happening at this park with the pictures. So maybe a year previously, there was a woman in a car at the train tracks, and she um, went in front of the train when the train came. And I'm like, why did she do that? What happened? Did her car break? April, she's trying to commit suicide. Like, oh no. And then I was, because I lived really close by, I would know when these things were happening, and it all came together like a flood. Like, oh my gosh, there's people trying to commit suicide. Um, lots of death happening in this little area, this cross. It was um, street this way and a street that way, and then a, the, the train tracks. So I started Googling. I started researching, and I found out that there was about three to four deaths in that spot. So I'm like, God, what is going on? Like, this is so strange. This is so weird. Started talking to my mentors, and one of them said, April, um, you know how you go around and you pray over the neighborhood? There's an opposite to that. And I thought, no, you're kidding me. Like, she's like, yeah, there's people that go and curse. And I'm like, no. And, I, and it just made sense of like, oh my gosh, there is an opposite to who we are and what we do. And I asked God, what can I do to help and change this? And I said, do you want me to bring out my leaders? Do you want me to bring out my mentors? Should we pray at the park? Should, we, should I bring out like a whole Christian band? Should we like put stakes in the ground? Like, what do we do? You know, how do we change this? And he said to me, he said, it's going to look like you. And I said, well, what do I look like? Like, who am I? And he said, you're a celebration. Okay. <laughs> and that was it. I just started dreaming with him and planning this party. And I had zero money, no money. I mean, we're talking. I didn't know anybody. Um, <clears throat> it was just me and my dad. My dad right there next to me. <laughs> and um, every day I would wake up and God would show me a picture of what I needed to do that day to start the process. Day one, make a sign, put it out there. Day two, make some, get some bubbles, put them out there. Day three, I had a dream about this um, booth, the Hope booth, and I asked my dad to build it, and we did that. And I would go out there and I would talk to people. People would come and they would give me a nickel, and they would like <laughs> ask for encouragement and hope, and they would tell me, oh, my uncle or, oh, my brother is thinking about, you know, telling me that they're thinking about killing themselves. And, and I would say, and they, they said, well, what would you tell them? And then I would tell them what I would say. And then they would just start crying, and they're like, it's me, it's me, I'm the one. And there's just been, there's just so many moments where God brought all of these people just because I was available and there. And even someone who had actually slit their wrist and was rock, walking right by me, crying. 
and I'm like, what can I do for you? And she says, I need you to take me to the hospital. And I was like, okay, let's go right now. Let's go. And just all these amazing things that God did. And, um, and then I was able to go. I said, okay, God, what is it today? We go into a restaurant, local restaurant. And I said, this is my dream. This is what I want to do. I want to have this big party. I want to bring the opposite of what's been happening here. So death has been here, and I want to bring life. Can you help me? And they were like, yeah. Gave me a list of all the local restaurant owners, all their phone numbers, names. Go to all of them and tell them Charlie sent you. (laughs) And I was like, okay. (laughs) Okay. And, and Charlie was the guy, he was one of the owners that I went to first. God told me, go to Charlie. And Charlie's like, I'm going to give you food. We're going to have food for this party. We're going to set up. I'm going to be there. I'm going to serve. And um, then I went to all the other restaurants, shops. Everyone started giving gifts. So we had raffles and, like, gifts to give away. We had food. We had coffee. We had cakes. We had... Um, face painting, we had these ribbons. Everyone wrote down what hope means to them when they came in to get their raffle ticket. So that's how you got it. And, um, and we did all of these things. We made all these games. We got a DJ. We had music, all this stuff. And, um, and I'm like, is anybody going to come? The day before the party, there was a post on social media for the whole Oceanside, like, Insider magazine, so it got out to everyone, and there was literally like 400 people there that came. It was crazy, just so amazing, and it shifted the atmosphere. There was dancing, and it was just so much fun, and um, it was all funded by the neighborhood. It was all funded by the community. It was had no like wasn't there. There wasn't even. It was all planned by the community. Non-Christians, you know what I'm saying? People that weren't in my church, it was all, they, they did it. And um, it went from like four deaths a year to now it's been four years, four or five years, and it, there's only been like two, yeah. two deaths there. And so, right on. Praise God. Praise God. Thanks for that. God's Thanks. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so let me... As Jeremiah is about to share, um, I specifically asked him to come up because uh, we've gone out to, to lunch and had to have coffee or gone to a sporting event together. And it just feels like every time that I go out with Jeremiah, he knows the people that, like just randomly knows the people in the shop or knows the people that, like we'll be at a sporting event and there's just, we'll just have to stop like every 50 steps because Jeremiah runs into someone. And you haven't lived in San Diego very long. Um, so it's just been this place of going like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, how do you know everyone in the city? Um, so I just wanted to, you to share about that, like what's taking place there. Yeah, so um, that journey actually started with a sermon that uh, Pastor Larissa gave, and she talked about, I can't remember if it's Hebrews 12 or 13, but it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because you never know when you're entertaining angels. Um, and as she said that, just something came over me, and I was thinking, not only that, we never know when we're entertaining depressed people. We never know when 
we're entertaining people who are thinking of suicide. We never know when we're entertaining people without a friend, people with tons of friends. Like, we just never know um, what people are going through. Um, and then I started working for a company called Big Table that I'm no longer working with, but I got the opportunity to go into restaurants and just meet managers and owners and, and workers and hear stories, and I got fairly connected that way. And then I came up here and spoke about Big Table at church, and Vince made a comment um, about like not making it sound like I'm asking people to go out to dinner every night if that's not one of their rhythms. So Vince said, um, we're not asking you to change the places you inhabit, but we're asking you to change the way you inhabit those places. And as a young guy, I spend a lot of time in coffee shops and breweries at sporting events. Um, and, and basically everywhere. I love, I love to go out. So I'm basically just the friendly neighborhood extrovert. And um, so one of my things on my Sabbath, um, I always play disc golf and I try to meet some people out there. And then I love to go to coffee shops and just, just sit and read and study. But sometimes I have these awesome study sessions where I dive really deep into some word study. And other times um, it seems like I study for like five minutes and the rest of the time book closed, computer closed, and just listen to stories. Um, and there's a coffee shop by my house called Genteel Coffee. And yesterday they had their one-year anniversary. And I got invited to like a friends and family gathering afterwards. And it was really cool just seeing like there's like 50, 60 people in there that I knew by name just from going to that coffee shop and just from um, being available. And as I was kind of reflecting, thinking about today, um, I started thinking about how in the Gospels we see Jesus constantly around people with needs. And I was like, man, he was so good at finding people who needed something. But then I realized, did Jesus really like have an inherent ability to find people who needed something? Or was he just aware of the needs of the people who were already around him? And that really challenged me because I don't think he was somehow around more needy people than the rest of the world at that time. Mm -hmm. I just think that he was in rhythm with the Holy Spirit and the Father and what was happening. And he just was aware of the needs of the people around him. So that's something I'm challenging myself with is I'm around needy people as much as any of these awesome stories or any awesome nonprofits or any awesome churches are, I'm around the same needy people that they are. So how can I, in my limited resources, meet those needs? And even if it's just being an ear, if it's driving someone to the hospital, if it's paying for coffee for, there's a homeless man who always sits outside of Genteel, and I can't, I can't tell you how many coffees I've bought for Greg over the last year, but just whatever little thing I can do to step in and meet that need, how, how am I doing that? And that's just in my opinion, and I hope I'm right, I feel like that's how Jesus would have inhabited coffee shops and breweries and, and places like that. So just trying to be Jesus in, in every place that I go to. Right on. Very cool. Thank you all. Um, before you go, just I guess by raise of hands, um, would you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert? Who would consider themselves an introvert that's sitting up here? 
Nice. And who would consider themselves an extrovert sitting there? It kind of made sense from the stories that were told as well. But um, I just wanted to highlight that as I was chatting with um, the crew before they came up. It was just like how their personalities completely fit the spaces that they were serving and the places that they were involved in. And the other thing that I would wanted to, to highlight was that as, as we talked beforehand about the stories that were going to be, were going to be shared, um, every one of their faces just lit up. <laughs> or if it was on the phone call with them, you could just hear the joy um, in, in their voice when they were sharing about the areas that they were serving in. And it was just, for me, it was this subtle but really just profound reminder of just, like Jesus tells us, right, it is, it is better to give than it is to receive. And when he says that, he actually means it. Like, he actually means, like, when you think about your life and, and how you are arriving in the world around you, he really is saying, like, it is better if you were to live a life that gave. Like, it would be, it'd be better for you. It'd be more beneficial. Like, the better way to live your life, the more, the, the way that your life would line up with who God is would be a life that gives. Like, it's better it really is better to give than to receive. But like just how much we need to constantly be reminded of that. Because if I'm honest, I think it's better to receive than it is to give. But as I was chatting with people over this past week that, that were reflecting on spaces that they gave, there was so much more joy. There was so much more joy present um, as those stories were being reflected on. So thank you for being up here. Thank you for sharing uh, with us this morning. I'm going to take you to Jeremiah 29, uh, just for the next handful of minutes here. Um, Jeremiah 29, it's the, the people of Israel are um, in exile. They've, they've been taken captive, and you'll, you'll hear here that they're in um, Babylon. Um, Jeremiah 29, I'm going to read, read verses 1 through 9. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, the NRSV. If you have, you have the ability to change your translation on your device, uh, if not, Read the, the, the translation you have there in front of you. It says this, These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths has departed from Jerusalem. It's just all this to make the picture that Jerusalem has been gutted, right? And they're all living in Babylon. So this letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, son of Shaphan of Gamaria, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and diviners and who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying you, to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. God speaks to his people who are in captivity. They were taken from their homes, literally wrapped in chains, and his instruction to them is pray for the people that have taken you into captivity. Absolutely wild instruction given to them. Seek to bless, seek to bless your captors. Pray for the city that you're in exile in. I just, you just think about that instruction that's given to them. Bless, bless the Babylonians. Plant gardens. Settle in. You know, among Jesus' followers, um, of, amongst the 12 disciples, even more specifically, I'm going to highlight two groups of people, two people in that, uh, amongst his 12. One was Simon. He was known as not, not Simon, who eventually we know as Peter, but Simon the Zealot. And there was also Matthew the tax collector. Amongst Jesus' 12, there was one man who wanted to burn down the Roman Empire. And there was another man that worked for Rome. And I bring that up because that's the tension that we all live in, right? It's this place that, that both of these disciples were living in, where one wanted to just completely overthrow the, the current government and make it like him. And the other person just completely acclimated to what was happening and came alongside the, the current of the culture that took over Israel. And that's the space that so often we, we will live in or try to, try to approach the nation that we live in here as exiles, as followers of Christ. But God's instruction to his people was, was this third way. I, I want you to make your home here. And I want you to bless the city that I've placed you in. I want you to seek its good. I, I, I want you to plant gardens. And you think about gardens. Gardens take a long time to grow. And so what God was instructing to the people of Israel is listen, I, I want you to settle in and I want you to make this nation your home. And, and I want you to bring something life-giving here. I want you to, to, to bring something that will be nutritious, that will bring good into the city that I placed you in. I want you I want you to feed this city. You think about that instruction that God gives to the Israelites. I want your home, the land that you live in, to be a space that feeds the city. I think the, the, the instruction I just really wanted to bring this morning was just really this simple. Is, is your city hungry? then feed it. S seek its welfare. 
seek its good. Seek, seek to bless the city that God has placed you in. To, to quote, um, I don't remember his name, but the owner or the founder of Chick-fil-A. Food is essential to life. Therefore, make it good. I think that's, like, that's the posture that, that we take on with our lives. Right? Like, is we can bring something good in, in, into the city that God has placed us in. Because the, the people around you are hungry and the people around you need to eat. So it might as, be, might as well be you that feeds them and blesses the city. Two practical takeaways for us this morning before we enter into some conversation with one another. Two practical um, instructions are this. One is learn to be friends with people in your city. I came across this quote from Christine Pohl in her book, Making Room. She said, often we maintain significant boundaries when offering to help persons in need. Many churches prepare and serve meals to hungry neighbors, but few church members find it easy to sit and eat with those who need the meal. When people are very different from ourselves, we often find it more comfortable to cook and clean for them than to share in a meal and conversation. We are familiar with the roles as helpers, but are less certain about being equals eating together. Many of us struggle with simply being present with people in need. Our helping roles give definition to the relationship, but they also keep it decidedly hierarchical. And, and again, reflecting on this instruction that God gives to the nation of Israel as they're in captivity, it's like, like settle in. Actually be a part of the life of the city. Don't be separate from it. Be, be involved in it. And I just instruct you or just encourage you, like find a place. Find a place, a regular, consistent place that you can just show up and be friends with people in the city. And that was part of hoping to have Lauren share is just regularly showing up for a dinner party. Not just a space where it's behind a line and handing soup, but it's a, it's a space where, where she sits down with people in our city and, and is friends with people. The other challenge that I would have for us is this word fidelity. Um, for me, I know that this is challenging and it, and it, and it may be even frustrating for, for people to, to, to reflect on this, but as I've been in this reflecting and studying for this series on food, I've been having this growing conviction that I need to evaluate what I'm eating. And I've been having to ask myself this question, is the food that I'm eating good for the world? And it's been a challenging question to, to, to wrestle with and to wade through. Like, it just really has been challenging. Like, it's, it's literally costing me more money to evaluate what chicken I'm buying. It does, and I, I recognize that I have the privilege to go into Ralph's or Devon's and to evaluate, is this, is this chicken pasture-raised? 
Is this, is this chicken locked up in a cage? Is this chicken have a, you know, just, does, does this chicken have a good life? Like, literally asking myself that question. And, it, like, because I'm trying to wrestle with, am I living for the welfare of, of the city that God has placed me in? Am I living for the good of the world that God has placed me in? And this isn't new to followers of Christ. Like there, are, there have been regular habits where followers of Christ have, have intentionally chosen to have rhythms in their meals where they, they don't eat meat certain days of the week because they recognize the environmental impact that it has. But it is this posture, not just it, to be an environmentalist for being an environmentalist's sake, but it's wrestling with that initial call upon all of humanity where we would exercise dominion over creation where we would love the world, that we would nurture and care for the world. And so the posture, hopefully then, that what you hear is the posture that, that, that I'm hoping to take and to live into in that space is just simply asking the question, like, is this good? Is this good for my neighbors? Is, am, am, I, am I thinking about farmers? Am I thinking about farm workers? Am I thinking about grocery clerks? Am I thinking about my server? Am I thinking about the, the Instacart driver? Am I, thinking of, like, am I thinking about them and arriving in a way that is for their good? Norman Wurzba, theologian and philosopher, just simply had this quote. Listen, we never just bite into one thing but everything that we bite into is, is part of this incredible network that there are hands that were involved in picking that food and growing that food and, and, and putting it up on the shelves of your grocery stores. And, and there are farmers that, that labored over that food. And so as followers of Christ, what does it look like for us to live in a way that is for the good? of the city that God has placed us in.